How's that for a slice of fried gold? Oh, you think this is a fucking costume? This is a way of life. I'll be back. Just a flesh wound. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I'm sorry, Ben. E.G. Marshall mentions a Mr. Pratt at one point in George Romero's Creep Show. He played a formidable millionaire named Mr. Pratt. Are you are you just are are you reading hey, IMDb uh, trivia? Welcome to the trivia for <laughs> two evil eyes. Wow, we're just going to read the uh, IMDb trivia for, for <laughs> right. an hour. Yeah, okay. It was Julie Bids's first acting role, a first feature film in which she starred. I would not say that it's a starring role. <laughs> that was not. I was looking for her that whole fucking <laughs> segment, is, and I was has, like, wait, she has thirty seconds. Like <laughs> thirty seconds of screen time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, anyway, we'll get to her in a minute as we always do, Rita. Hey, like, you go Rita, not Darla from Buffy. I don't I cuz I never really watched all of Buffy because you canceled your stupid podcast. Yeah. Hey, I'm too busy for more than one podcast. <laughs> yeah, I uh I, I watched the first like two seasons of Buffy and then I stopped when you stopped. Whatever. Well, hello, everybody. This is Gary Horde, and this is the Cinema Shock. You are doing the, you are about to do your other podcast intro. You're right. You're, hey. Welcome hey. to Cinema Shock, the podcast celebrating the legacy of Colton Genre Entertainment. He's Gary Horn. I'm Gary Horde. I'm Justin Bishop. Joining us today, writer, comedian, and Harvey Keitel impersonator for Todd Davis. I think hey, listen, listen, I, listen to how intro good. is a better intro than anybody else on this show gets, and I'm starting to be offended by it. The Todd Davis gets all of these credentials listed ahead of it. Listen, have you seen his? Have you seen co-host of Cinema Shock? Uh, but yeah, but have you heard his Harvey Keitel impersonation? I have not yet. I don't think you're well, gonna be I, okay. Tell me you're gonna be okay. <laughs> That's exactly the one I would have done, honestly. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Available for parties, bar mitzvahs. Oh, man. Yes. I, I got to tell you, <laughs> I, I don't know. Watching him in this movie and, uh, and and on the old show, we did Passion of the Christ. And I just don't know. I don't get, like, I mean. He's not in Passion of the Christ, Gary. He's in The I'm Last like, Temptation of Christ. That's the same movie. No. <laughs> Vastly <laughs> different movies. Jesus Christ, Superstar, Passion of the Christ. I would watch Jesus the same Christ story Superstar either way. <laughs> starring Harvey Keitel. I would watch I, that. Passion of the Christ with musical Jim, numbers. Jim Caviezel's laying bloody and broken. <laughs> Harvey Keitel's like, you're okay. Tell me you're going to be you're okay. Gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's why I can't drink before the show. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I'm just saying he's got a he's a he's a weird actor, dude. I love like, him. Yeah. He's a, he's he a, gives it so his all. He, he gives does. it his all. He gives it. Something. You ever seen Bad Lieutenant? Yeah, I mean, and, and I was gonna say I knew it from roles like Bad Lieutenant or in like Pulp Fiction or you know the Wolf. Yeah, yeah. 
like stuff like that. Like he, like this version of Harvey Keitel is like a world of Harvey Keitel I never knew before. It's it's, it's the Nicolas Cage version of Harvey Keitel is what you get in this movie. Yeah, like just dialing it up to a to a hundred. And anyway, I guess we should start. We're just talking about the movie, like like we're already forty five minutes into this episode. People just yeah. want us to be authentic. And hey, these are I, the things that are on our minds. So while I was researching this episode, I found a quote by George Romero that I would just like to read to you. Oh, I can't okay. wait. It's, it's a short quote, but I, I like it. It's, it's about his views on the film industry, about Hollywood. He says, if I fail, they write me off as a, as a statistic. If I succeed... They pay me a million bucks to fly out to Hollywood and fart. (laughs) It's a great, let's get that stitched on a pillow. (laughs) It's so true. I mean, I'd fart for a million bucks. I fart for free. So (laughs) you do often. It's true. I I appreciate his uh, candor. Yeah, he's great. I love listening to him in interviews so much. He seems like such a nice guy. Seems like a guy you just want to hang out with and, you know, smoke weed or something. I, I assume he smokes weed. He seems like the type. Guys like him, and I know people think whatever they want about whoever, but like somebody, because of the other show I've been seeing a lot of recently is like a Billy Corgan or something. They they both have this idea of like, and Billy Billy's more protective of himself and so seems more defensive a lot of times. But um, he also has this like, what they think is cool is cool. And that's just the way it's going to be. And, right. you know. Just I'm just going to keep doing what authentic. I want to do. And, yeah. You know, it's just like, if I'm it just takes not cool off, anymore. If, <laughs> yeah. Even if it, if it becomes successful, then it, it does. If it doesn't, at least I, you know, was kind of true to myself as an artist. That's kind of Romero's thing, which, and, and as his career went on, he was not probably not the best way to put it, but increasingly out of touch with what was popular. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. You know, like, he created a genre with with the you know, with Night of the Living Dead, basically, and he continued to not milk that necessarily, but to see its potential with later films. But I think as his career went on with stuff like Monkey Shines and The Dark Half and whatnot, like I feel like he did kind of lose touch. But I think that that was also probably due to just the evolution of the movie industry. Like he was no longer able to like produce movies independently that met that would meet his vision not if he wanted the budget that would meet his vision so he's like well i'll do monkey shines and get a budget and then i have to make this idiotic movie about a killer monkey yeah i mean this this movie there were some concerns i had coming off of monkey shines and uh this film doesn't alleviate some of those right yeah yeah so <laughs> so after you know la- when last we met on the Cinema Shock podcast, uh, Mr. Romero had just come off the disappointing experience of Monkey Shines. It was, as we discussed, a critical and financial disappointment. A critical and financial success were kind of exactly what Romero needed at that point in his career. So that did not help him. So for his next move, he turned to a format that had done him well in the past, the anthology film. And he turned to an old friend who'd helped his career in the past a man by the name of Dario Argento. So the resulting film is the subject of today's episode, of course, from 1990, Two Evil Eyes. Wake. He's still alive. 
from the creators of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead to Evil Eyes. We are felons, Jessica. We have committed grand larceny here and fraud and God knows what else. Beyond the limits of morality. In a few weeks we'll have it all. And beyond the boundaries of life. I am dead. You killed her. And I didn't kill her! Take one look at him, then tell me you think he's still alive. The terror of George Romero. Wake up! The suspense of Dario Argento. A new dimension of evil. That goes beyond all evil. Two evil eyes. So those anthology movies, you know, we, we talked briefly about them in Creepshow, but we haven't really gotten into them. But their origins, of course, are, are long before Creepshow. Creepshow was kind of a part of a tradition of horror films that dated all the way back to, hell, the beginning of the genre almost. Back to the 1940s, I think, was the earliest example of the anthology film. But one of the most famous examples of the anthology film, at least early on, was the 1962 Roger Corman produced and directed Tales of Terror. Uh, we briefly discussed this, gosh, back in episode one of the series, I think we mentioned Tales of Terror. Uh, but that one featured adaptations of four Edgar Allan Poe stories. It, uh, Corman adapted Morella, The Black Cat, The Cast of Amonti- Amontillado, and Montillado. <laughs> say it with an accent like Gary did. And got, the facts you, in the yeah, case you of Mr. Your hand, you got to do your hand like this. It's, just... it's not Italian. It's... Yeah. Is it Italian? Is it Spanish? Is it Spanish? I thought it was Spanish. They're so I don't close. Know. I mean, They're... geographically. So in the late 1980s, Italian horror maestro Dario Argento, who I, I have no doubt we will discuss further down the line on this podcast, but he decided to have a go at his own version of the anthology film, sort of an updated version of Corman's film, and he would similarly adapt the works of Edgar Allan Poe. So his goal, Ar- Argento, what he wanted to do was kind of a forebearer to something like Masters of Horror, you know, the, the TV show. Yeah. What he wanted to do is he wanted to get a bunch of masters of horror, some of the major horror directors who were working at the time, guys like George Romero, John Carpenter, Wes Craven, reportedly even Stephen King was approached to direct a segment. I, uh, I saw and- that that his original idea was a TV show, like that that was the goal. Mi- Michelle Soavi was uh, eight for the Mask of the Red Death which was originally what George Romero wanted to do. But this guy took it over. So George took the case of Mr. Uh, Valdemar. Yeah. And like Richard Stanley was doing Cask of Amontillado. That would be great. Honestly. He, he had cast Stanley. like Michael Gambon as Fortunato and Jonathan wow. Price as... But this was in the TV version of this? Yeah, this is like, they had worked it out. Like it was supposedly going to be a uh, a TV thing. He Argento had done a, an anthology TV series in the early 1970s called Door into Darkness, an Italian TV series. It only lasted like four episodes. Argento, I think Argento directed two of the four episodes. I don't know that it was ever broadcast in the U.S., but it is actually on Shutter right now. I'm very curious to watch it because I've never seen it. But yeah, four like hour-long episodes, all different stories are basically a precursor to, you know, like, the tales from the dark side 
TV series that Romero would later do. Nice. Yeah, this exact quote I pulled from this article said, like, you know, they 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 did the facts in the case of Mr. Valdemar and whoever they were originally pitching it to was not impressed like enough to continue with it or something like a, like a studio you mean yeah or? like a studio and uh so they just went with argento ended up doing the other part of it and they released it as a movie i don't know like it was weird i couldn't i couldn't i mean separate this completely yeah the, the, so the information that i was able to dig up on this basically says that they, they couldn't get like they couldn't get Wes Craven or John Carpenter just due to simple scheduling issues. Now, I couldn't find any direct quotes from either of them about that, but multiple sources that I found attributed it to scheduling issues. And Stephen King, apparently, like he it wasn't really a scheduling thing with him. It was that he had recently done Maximum Overdrive and had a pretty shitty experience and didn't think that he was... He didn't think he had the chops to be a movie director, which if you've seen Maximum Overdrive... You might agree. <laughs> well, it's tough. I mean, semis are notoriously hard to direct. Yeah, they're fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, well, I he was him. also every doing single, a, every a, single one of them wants their own trailer, and it's hey. like, come on, come on, uh, love it. Jeez, that's quality. That's uh, why he's writer comedian. Todd. Available for parties. Uh, I, I mean, King was also doing a shitload of cocaine when he did maximum overdrive so that that might have had a little bit to do with it as well but anyway instead so none of these guys who they wanted to do it were available or or were game so instead of like trying to find other directors or whatever i guess they just they're just like what the hell george is in dario's in let's just make it a a weird twofer anthology with just two just two halves so that's what they did. So they 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 whittled it down to just two stories, one directed by Romero, the other by Argento himself. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you guys my opinion. And I think that the scaling down of the project into to two stories creates most of the issues that I have with the movie stem from that. Both segments, I think, are a little bit, I think they overstay their welcome. I think either one of these segments, especially Romero's, which we'll get into in a minute, would work. Like I think Romero's segment would work very well if it were like one of five, like in a creep show. You know, like if it were a 20 minute long segment instead of an almost hour long segment. Well, no, it's just I was interested because, I mean, one of the thoughts I had watching this is I was like, oh, this is creep show, except they're taking too long with both yeah. of these stories. Cause it's got, cause, well, I, I don't want to get into it too much before we start talking about the actual uh, story, but yeah, I, I, I think that that's very much the case. I think it also, I think the movie also suffers from the lack of a wraparound segment, which is kind of a given in a lot of, which is interesting because movies. they start it like they're going to like they show the Edgar Allan Poe house. Yeah. They like, seem like there's going to be like an overarching like yeah. narrative here. Why not hire someone to play Edgar Allan Poe as like the narrator? Hell, when Savini shows up later on. I was about to say, but not on, Tom Savini dressed as Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> I would love that. I think Tom Savini should have been the narrator. I think Tom yeah. Savini should have been the crypt keeper of this movie, like as Edgar Allan Poe, like he appears. I think people would cameo. actually, honest to God, you're joking, but it would be. No, I'm not probably, joking. <laughs> it would probably actually yeah. work. I am, I am 100%. That. I'd be for on real. Board. I'd be on board for that. Yeah, absolutely. He is. He's charismatic. He's got the mustache already. So, like, <laughs> yeah. he's, 
you know, I think he'd be perfect actually like Tom Savini as, as, and he's actually later on in his career, Savini has done the horror host thing. He did a thing for, um, gosh, some network epics or something. I think the epics network, maybe where he played a sort of vampire type character as a, as a like horror host. Like he had like a top hat and he had prosthetics on fangs, like all stuff that he made up himself, but he was like the host, you know, this, this was four or five years ago, fairly recently. Wow. Yeah. Kind of fun. Yeah. The movie suffers from not having a wraparound segment, I think, because there's nothing that really ties the stories together. Right. Other than the fact that they both happen to be adapted from Ed- Edgar Allan Poe. But other than that, there's nothing. It's just like two short movies just smashed up against each other for no apparent reason, really, because yeah. they're very different stylistically, you know, very different stylistically. Mm. So it makes it hard to even consider this a a single film at all. Like, And the fact that Gary mentioned that this has origins almost as a TV show makes a little more sense because a TV show would be about an hour long, right? So, a you know, the Romero segment could be an episode of a TV show. Well, uh, Jesus, I mean, he's doing the same thing that I had a problem with in, in Monkey Shines. I mean, I guess this is as good a place as any to bring it up that I like it. I mean, his segment is completely like soap opera-ish. Like every soap opera. Very, yeah. It, it very looks like TV opera. movie or soap opera or something. Like, I don't know what the deal is with George here at this point. And I mean, obviously I love the guy, but I mean, it's like, the way these things are shot, the way they feel over dramatic TV movie style. Yeah. yeah. Which, which it's not, you know, could work done if done right. You know, like I'm not saying like melodrama can definitely work in the right situation in the right story. And I don't think, I mean, this story is kind of perfect for that, but there's still something about it that doesn't quite work. So before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we should say that the, the two post stories that are being adapted happened to be two of the same ones that Corman adapted in Tales of Terror, which was uh, Romero's section, the facts in the case of M. Valdemar and Argento doing the Black Cat. Now, both of these sections were filmed in Pittsburgh, just like every other Romero movie. Like Argento actually came to the States. This is his first American movie. Uh, He made another one about a year later called Trauma. That's decent. It's okay. You know, I, I, I don't love anything Argento does after about 1987 um, with opera. I think opera was his last great movie, but trauma is, is worth checking out. It's got a fun Piper Laurie performance in it and some fun Tom Savini effects. Actually Tom Savini did, uh, did the effects for trauma. Clearly you haven't seen Argento's Dracula, but. Oh, I have (laughs) (laughs) Dracula 3d. Yes, I have. I own it on DVD. It is bad. It is (laughs) Almost unwatchable. <laughs> I got so anyway, it, it was sitting in a horror box or something. I got yeah. it one day. Have you seen his Phantom of the Opera? I came not. out. Right, oh, it's oh, dude. <laughs> it's it's bad. it's bad. Anyway, this is not a Dario Argento episode. I mean, it kind of is, but this, we'll, we'll get to him. We are definitely going to get to him <laughs> at, at some point in the future. But let's talk about, I guess, each segment. We've already talked a little bit about Romero's segment, the facts in the case of M. Valdemar. Uh, and it begins, you know, it's it's the first one in the film, and it's fairly straightforward as an adaptation of the Poe story. If you've ever read that story, it's the the story in the film is pretty close, uh, other than being adapted to a more modern setting. 
And Gary, you mentioned that Romero had initially wanted to adapt the mask of the red death. And I, I, I found a little bit of information about that as well. Apparently what he wanted to do, he wanted to add some of his like signature social commentary into the segment. Uh, he kind of wanted to tackle wealth discrepancies of the 1980s uh, and the AIDS epidemic. But Argento found this approach to be too modern, apparently. And he wanted to focus on the more kind of timeless themes of Poe's work. So that is the story that I found as to why he did not end up doing that particular Poe adaptation. I mean, you know, the thing I read didn't say like why it ended up not going to Romero. So that that could still play into it. I mean, I feel like the the wealth discrepancy thing you can probably see uh, playing into this a little bit. Like, you see a uh, little bit of it here. There's a little bit of that Romero social commentary. Adrian Barbeau movie. playing into this, into this uh, position of like, I did all of this stuff so that I could bring myself up. And like, she's very... I let him use me. The, yeah, yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. Like, she's very... It's not that she's been used without her knowledge of what she's doing she's like i'm doing what i gotta do yeah to gain my stature and so it's it's kind of interesting um there's also other romero stuff here i mean bingo o'malley is in this one and he's he was in uh creep uh, he he was uh he was jordy's dad jordy's dad he's jordy's the sheriff which by the way bingo o'malley is an an amazing name yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's the best name uh, uh well, he was yeah, the yeah, sheriff yeah. in night riders he uh who, who bingo was yeah mm-hmm. oh i didn't realize that okay yeah yeah he was a sheriff uh riley i think was his name okay and, and then of uh, course adrian barbo and uh tom atkins who appears. yeah to- fucking tom atkins just shows up out of nowhere yeah <laughs> bastard yeah he just shows up out of nowhere like a fucking gum shoe out of a film noir yeah <laughs> like, yeah wearing his fedora and chomping on a cigar like does not fit the tone of the, no, the piece at all but i love him and i honestly wish he'd been in it more i wish he'd I, been I, like the same. doctor or something that she was having an affair with tom atkins has like charisma for days like we right talked about and people Rainy that are Zada, like black holes of charisma tom atkins is just yeah. like he he just like sweats it out and rami zada who plays the doctor is a black hole of charisma he is there you go so there, there's a guy who like so they like if played... Rami Zada's character had been played by Tom Atkins. Oh man, this would be my, one. Of, this would be amazing. Honestly, I'd, I'd have been it, sold. Immediately. It would be elevated just by the addition of more Tom Atkins in it. Yeah, um, and this is probably not the the place to go into like Adrian Barbeau's career, but I mean, she does have that care uh, that that connection to carpenter like she was married to him obviously yes. she showed up in moves uh movies of carpenters uh, she she's a where she fits in for here for me is that she started off as a stage actress also in that general area and like she she came up with people like b arthur and bet midler she, she was on like filler on the roof and grease like yeah, she all was in this. mod with with b arthur i think but yeah yeah eventually b arthur led to mod and uh she she and was also she, Rizzo. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was saying in Greece. She was, yeah, yeah. She was I Rizzo. I say that. I'm sorry. And then she became a regular in like Carpenter stuff before this movie. Like, I mean, she yeah, was the in fog, Somebody's Watching um, Me, The Fog, Escape from New York. New York. Yeah. She's in Creep Show in The that's Crate. It. So, I've been trying, so to, she's figure, I've been trying to figure out. <laughs> but. You've been trying to figure out where you knew her from? I, yeah. And I didn't want to cheat. I didn't want to like pull up IMDb. And I was just like, <laughs> God. 
What was that? What Escape else? from New York? What else? I know she, I've seen her, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have yeah. You seen she's, the fog? she's pretty big deal at this point. She's she's uh, also in Swamp Thing. She is a Swamp Thing. Yeah. She is in Swamp Thing. Like the original yeah, Swamp Thing, the West Craven yeah. one. She's, yeah. she's possibly, besides like Kaitel, the, the established person. Right. Her. Yeah. Yeah. She is the established person in her segment, I would say. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, Tom, uh, Tom, Tom Atkins is obviously we know who he is because he's a big cult figure, but she's probably, I guess she's kind of a cult figure too. But she, her, her career was well established on stage before she ever made the jump to and, and you, you think like something like mod probably doesn't matter much to people these days but at the but time at the, at the time it was yeah. huge yeah well yeah. i mean because wasn't there still like the prevailing thought of like cinema's up here tv's down here so for someone to make that jump was kind of a big deal yeah yeah, yeah. And, well and here's one here's a um a role of hers later on not long after this movie actually todd that you'll appreciate is that she was catwoman on the batman animated series Oh yeah! Oh God, yes. And a good one too. She's got an amazing voice. I mean, the, yeah. she plays a radio DJ in the fog for a reason. You know, oh, right, right. Okay. Yeah, but she played. She was Catwoman's voice on the Batman animated series. Wow. Yeah, that's fun. God, I love that show. But because as it turns out, so the best actors. part of this whole entire story is Tom Savini's special effects. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I mean, a lot of the like Gary said, a lot of it feels like soap opera or I, I felt like it looked like a lifetime movie you know very <laughs> like well very i say soap opera for the fact that like we're gonna hypnotize your husband and yeah it's a very soap opera <laughs> it's very much a soap opera plot but i mean right, that yeah. plot comes from pope but but Basically, but yeah i mean the and, and my wife pointed it out and i was like but this is the edgar Allan poe story I, I know. I think that the cinematography. So Peter uh, Reniers was the cinematographer on this, and I think it looks like really flat, you know. Uh, and I looked, I so I, I and I, I didn't know that guy, so, so I looked him up on IMDb. And most of his career after Two Evil Eyes is in television. So like, there's there's a reason that he it has that look. And I do think that Adrian Barbo is really good in it. I think that. The uh, what's his name? Uh, Rami Zada. I think he's pretty flat, pretty boring. But Bingo O'Malley gets to have a little bit of fun too later on. Like when he becomes a zombie. When when he be when he becomes uh, an un. I guess he. I guess technically he's a zombie. Although yeah, like Gary pointed out, the the real star even of that is the pretty incredible work by Tom Savini. There, I was gonna say. I mean, the thing is, is he looks amazing. <laughs> Yeah. He does drop the uh they're coming to get you uh yep. what, what's her name? <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's a uh it's pretty so good. They they do play on that a little bit, but uh yeah, but yeah. I mean that he looks incredible. Is, once it gets to the zombie stuff, that's when the segment really starts to come to life. <laughs> Sorry, no pun intended. Uh, because that's what Romero does best. I mean, I, I mean he's the he's the king of the zombies, you know. So right. that's when the segment like wakes up. It just takes too goddamn long to get there. Yeah. You well, know, like, I mean, there's literally like a point that I can think of. Sorry to cut you off. There, there's a point that I can think of that it gets there. Like she's gone to the bank like twice already. And the guy is obviously suspicious of her. You only need one of those, but sure. Maybe it takes two times. The guy's really suspicious. And then she's talking to, to Remy's character 
you know, he's like, I got to go to bed. I got to get sleep. You got, I got this hypnosis thing. So you should really check it out. Like it makes it so you can't possibly wake me up. And immediately me as a viewer, and this is the first time I've ever seen this movie. I'm like, Oh, she'll just like fucking use that against him or something. Probably. <laughs> yeah. See, I was waiting for that too. Right. And then she does it. <laughs> and then you're like, she like comes back out and she's like a buttoning her top and she's like, oh, he's asleep. And I was like, oh, she's clearly like fucking with him. Like she's tried. No, no, she's just dumb. And <laughs> she well, still hasn't thought of plan? it yet. We've all thought of it already. <laughs> what was his plan? How did he expect to, to wake up if only the person hypnotizing you can wake you up and you're and you're asleep? Was there like I'm, an I'm no survivalist, but I think that that's a poor thing to have like yeah, the yeah. only yeah yeah, I, yeah guess, seems... I guess the tiktok like the metronome turns off eventually or stops or something yeah i don't know it's a that seems like a terrible thing to have i mean Bit although there are days hole. that yeah. i wish i had that where i could fall asleep but it's also like you don't want to rely on like you cannot possibly wait especially when you're doing it movies. after you've seen what happens to the other guy who is now stuck in some sort of purgatory limbo yeah <laughs> after oh dying while under hypnosis i will say just as a first time viewer and uh not familiar with the edgar Allan poe story that this is based on i was surprised when he also discovers the body making noises as well because i thought it was just going to be like a her slowly going crazy kind well of- it's that whole like frustrating thing from horror movies where one person hears it no one else does and nobody right. listens to them but it wasn't it was immediately you know, I was like, oh, he hears it too. So clearly she's not crazy. This guy's yeah. just dead. Although I was more impressed initially, these others are coming and they're taking over my body and blah, blah, blah. But then by the time you get to the end of the movie, you're like, well, the others, they figured out that far, but they're still kind of fucking stupid. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. They, you've just been holed up in this apartment for like six weeks, and right. somebody found you. <laughs> there and was like just a like, lot all of all we s- could do is slowly lumber towards the cops and get shot again. <laughs> right. There was a lot of like setup, setup, and then no follow through, no punch, no delivery. Well, I do think that you know if we're going to talk about positive things, and we'll we'll get back to some of the stuff that Savini did on this because he's doing some pretty amazing effects here. You know, you've got. I guess the first thing you see is Bingo O'Malley frozen. Like his, they they had to make a life cast of him. Uh, they made a couple different life casts actually. They made one of him lying on his back, which is what they use in the freezer. Uh, and they they put like they had to make him look frozen and kind of freezer burnt. So Savini uh, began to research how to do that. And the one thing that him and his crew investigated was what they used in commercials to make food look cold. You know, like the frost and stuff that you see on it. And he yeah. found out what that stuff was, and he. It, there, there's a, an interview that I, I watched with him where he says the name of the product. I don't remember what it is, but he, he used that stuff and he used like little crystals. So you can actually see like when the, the light hits him a certain way, even once he's reanimated, you can see like it shining, like the, where it looks like ice. Well, yeah. what's worth but, mentioning there too, is that, that the, the benefit of practical effects is that one thing you don't, you, you take for granted it, 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 as opposed to CGI is that, uh, this body is in the freezer and there are points where uh, uh, Raimi's character like reaches down and it's like when he first hears it, he's like touching his eye yeah. and like trying to like play with his eye and like, I, I don't know. Like there was something about that even this time where I was like, he's physically like interacting with 
this amazing special effects. Yeah, yeah. Like it, yeah. It's, and, it's something special about that. That well, like, and not only lose. Did, not only did they have to make it like a lifelike body in there, but they had to make, rig it to where she shoots him in the head. You know, yeah. uh, and it's not just a typical squib effect because he's frozen. So it's not like blood's going to come pouring out. So they they rigged, you know, a little explosive on the forehead. But he also, you've got the one in the back where oh, the frozen brain the stuff yeah. kind of hits. But they, yeah, also had, awesome. they also rigged a little like charge under the head so that like when the shot hits him, the head doesn't just like, the stuff doesn't just come out of the back, but the head kind of jumps up a little bit from the force of the bullet. It's a very simple effect on film. But very, very effective, I think. And, and yeah. sort of like just shows yeah. how damn good, effortlessly good, it seems, that Savini is. It just um, makes you wonder like how how we're still dealing with this in 2020. Well, I mean, now in 2020, you can't even see each other in person. So I imagine <laughs> you have to use CGI. But but you get what I'm saying. Right, yeah. Well, that, you know, I guess it's, uh, we won't get into the CGI versus practical debate. I'm sure we'll mention that quite a lot on the show, but it's cheaper, I think, to do CGI. And there aren't as many guys like Savini out there now, even though he's, you know, training more because he's got his school, but there just aren't those specialists. But you've got shows like, like The Walking Dead, like what Greg Nicotero's doing, which, like, he's doing pretty incredible makeup effects. Yeah. But he uses CGI too. You know, like they'll, and I think that's that's kind of the modern, the best modern way to do it, which is to create those practical effects and then supplement parts of them with CGI if it's something that physically cannot be done. They didn't have that option on this movie. You know, they didn't have that option. They had to, Savini had to figure out how to do everything. Yeah, well, I feel I like we've had the, that discussion before where it's like CGI is good with like enhancing a practical effect. Right. right. I was just about to say, it, CGI works best as the icing to the cake. The dressing Well, I always salad. go back to like, Jurassic Park on that because yeah, you've got those yeah, animatronic oh dinosaurs. There's a reason that that T-Rex still looks real 25 plus years later, 27 years later now, because it's a mix. Sometimes they'll show the animatronics. Sometimes they show CGI and they don't show either one of them too much you know, to where when they're showing the CGI one, you still believe it, even though those effects should, by all in purpose, intents and purposes, be very dated by now. And they're and they're honestly not. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, pretty it crazy when you think about it. Oh, wow, yeah, that's pretty good. Well, I mean, and, and, and back to this movie, there's nothing about Mr. Valdemar that they don't. He looks good. Like he looks good. It's he, a great to this day, yeah. in, to this day from 1990. Like he looks, he looks fi- fantastic. Like, I mean, yeah. it's a cool effect. It is. And the other, the other thing. So I, I mentioned that they had to do two different life casts for bingo O'Malley. One was him on his back so that they could create the fake body to be shot. The other one is they had to get him to lay on his like face, like on his stomach with his face on the floor so that they could, and they did a live cast of him laying on the floor. There are pictures of this. If you pick up uh, Savini's Grand Illusions books, which are his books where they're not really like a biography, but he breaks down a bunch of his most iconic effects. In Grand Illusions 2, he talks about two evil eyes, and he talks about that scene. So there's a picture of, of Bingo O'Malley laying on the ground and them covering him covered in uh, plaster basically so they created this life cast and the one what they created that one for is for the scene where you see him on the floor like when the cops come in and he sort of deflates and water comes out of them and that is a practical effect where they created a life cast and then created an effect where it would sort of shrivel up on camera 
Wow. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. That's awesome. Uh, And then of course you've got later on, you've got the uh, impalement and zombification of Rami Zada's character. Uh, I love the impalement. I think it's a fun effect. Yeah. Uh, Or that like obelisk thing falls Mm -hmm. right down on his chest. Uh, The way they did that is they created a fake body. Like, just like we, we've actually talked about this effect, a similar effect on multiple episodes where the actor's body is below a table. They created a fake body and just this head is actually exposed. So this fake body, they had to make a, a hole in it that was filled with blood. And they kept trying to figure out how to drop this thing, this obelisk in the exact same spot. Cause they had to drop it in the same spot every time. So they could do multiple takes and then rebuild it and, you know, have the blood pop out and they, they couldn't get it accurate enough. So Savini rigged a high powered vacuum on like a pole. Right. And he had the obelisk being held by the vacuum so they could accurately like kind of aim it. Yeah. And then they would just turn the vacuum off when they wanted it to fall and it would fall in the exact same spot. So they did like five takes or something like that to get it to go exactly where, where they wanted it to go, which solved that problem, but it led to another problem when they did that. So the, the fake body was filled with blood. The, the idea was the thing hits the chest, blood splats out everywhere, you know, et cetera. But what happened is when it hit these little skin flaps that were supposed you know, his chest, when the blood spurted out, the chin flap, the, the skin flaps flapped out instead of going inward. So it kind of looked goofy. There, there's, uh, there is footage of this on the Blue Underground release of this movie, and you can see like the little these goofy little skin flaps pop out. And so they're like, well, George is like, well, we can't. This is not going to work. I mean, the skin it would go in. It's not going to pop out. This doesn't look right. So they uh, they had to figure out what to do, and it was actually an effect that had worked for them on Creep Show that they kind of returned to. So on Creepshow, we discussed this this effect where Savini, on the suggestion of George Romero, because it was another effect that they couldn't quite figure out how to do, where E.G. Marshall's character, where the roaches are coming out of it, and they used right. toilet paper and painted it like to look like skin, right? That was George Romero's idea, uh, because they had to figure out a way to get the roaches to break through the skin. So they did that on this, too. So Romero actually suggested, hey, why don't we just cover the hole in toilet paper? That way you don't have to worry about this foam rubber skin popping out. And every time they did it, they would just paint it, add some like hair to it and create his chest again. But it was just thin toilet paper that would just immediately break through when that thing dropped on it. Necessity is the mother of invention. It is. And, and, you know, that's the thing with Savini is that, and granted this was a, a Romero suggestion, but Savini is so good at thinking on his toes and there's a reason that his his books on special effects are called Grand Illusion because he considers himself a magician, that what he's doing are illusions. And a lot of times what he's doing is just that. Like there, there's a, there are multiple examples of him figuring out how to do something in a way that when he explains it, you're like, well, that's so simple. It's such a simple thing. But when you see it on screen, you can't figure out how he did it. Like yeah. that's the mark of a good magician, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely his thing. And there is a, um, by the way, I, I, I stumbled upon this, but there, there's a YouTube video uh, called like Two Evil Eyes Behind the Scenes. I, I pulled it up here so I can remember. Two Evil Eyes, 1990, Behind the Scenes of the George Romero and Dario Argento film. There's a, a one and a two part of this. And they're like 15 minutes each. 
And it is literally like sub, I, 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 100% the, the video is uploaded by Gore Meister 100, but I don't know who filmed this. It's like with a handheld video camera. And they're right, just like hanging out. Yeah, they're, they're hanging out on the set filming these guys doing this. And that scene you're talking about is in there. Yeah, they've, that's they've, probably where the footage I saw came from. Cause on, I, I saw it on this um, special uh, feature on the Blue Underground release. Called, just called Savini's effects. It's just got Savini talking through some of them and they shows them what looks like very like amateur home video footage. So that's, I bet that's where the source was. That may be. Yeah. They're, they're like, it's literally the dude walking around backstage, like shooting the shit with Savini, like just filming all the props that are back there and stuff. And, uh, but yeah, they go on set for like, you hear the vacuum come on for like that scene yeah. and like you're you're like seeing it actually happen his head poked through the uh thing and like it the obelisk hits and they're like blood spurts and it gets in his mouth and they're like yeah. hey are you okay and he's like oh, yeah I'm fine. Uh, it's fine <laughs> but uh so, it's, it's kind of interesting so yeah it's really I, fun to watch how how that stuff is created honestly so th- this segment is i think in my opinion, one of Romero's lesser works, you know, I don't think anyone is going to really argue that it's, it kind of is, it's kind of stodgy, kind of melodramatic. And, and I think it does really suffer from being as long as it is. I think again, it's cause it's got that good, like EC comics vibe to it. Right. Even the ending, like it, it reminds me of the ending of like something to tide you over from creep show, you know, like it's this sort of melodramatic story, love story kind of thing, love triangle. And then it ends in, in zombies coming back, you know, which is fun and works in creep show because it's only like 20 minutes long. It's the right? only part that makes me believe that the TV show idea is accurate. That like right. that Romero had he known I'm doing a feature with Argento. Right. Like he would have like I feel like there's like another step he would have taken or another something well, he would have done. Well, here's the other thing is that I don't think a lot of the failure of this segment is Romero's fault because what happened. So, you know, Argento comes to Pittsburgh to film this, but then he, after they're done, he takes the movie back to Europe and all the post-production is done in Europe. And Romero has practically nothing to do with the post-production, including the editing, including the music, which I think is really goofy. And I mean, not goofy, but I, it's not great. You know, I don't think it's great. I don't think the music, I think it's kind of cheesy. So Romero had very little say in what was happening to the movie once once the shoot was done. It was all Argento. So you can't fully lay it at Romero's feet, you know, because he may have intended to cut 15 minutes out of it. I'm not I'm not laying anything at the feet of the writer director of Night Riders right now that I don't 100% enjoy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I'm uh it just it it really does. This one feels like a episode of Masters of Horror or like a TV show in general. Like a, yeah. it's melodrama. You, you you used that word earlier. That's that's probably how I felt about most of it. And it does. It, it lasts too long. Like it could have shaved ten to twenty minutes off this thing and sure. got the point across. The effects by Savini are what save it. It's a hundred percent. What makes it worth seeing is just the gore effects that happen in this right this segment. Well, let's move on to the next segment then, because because this one in, just 
it just ends. <laughs> that's that's yeah. how that's how that happens. It just cuts, and then all of a sudden, the title to the next one pops up on screen. You're like, oh, I guess we're moving on. <laughs> now it's time to start another one. <laughs> so that's what we're gonna do. We're moving on to the Black Cat, directed by Dario Argento. So it's pretty immediately apparent when Romero's segments start that the two halves of this film are going to be wildly different because we open this segment in the middle of a grisly crime scene, uh, which has our Argento's signature visual uh, style on display kind of right from the get-go. It's got like a pendulum camera. You know, you, you get that shot and you get the grisly gore that you expect from Argento immediately in this first scene, which has no real bearing on the rest of the story other than to introduce Harvey Keitel's character. But so Ar- Argento's half of the film is an adaptation of the black cat, but it also peppers in references from several other post stories, starting with the pit and the pendulum, which is kind of what that is referencing there at the beginning of the, of the segment. Uh, other references include character names like Harvey Keitel's character's name is Rod Usher, follow the house of Usher uh, references to other stories. Like you've got a corpse with teeth pried out, uh, which is in uh, Berenice, the post story, or a corpse hidden behind a wall, like in the Telltale Heart, which is kind of fun. It, it almost feels like Argento just wanted to throw in every Poe reference that he could since he only got to do two stories instead of five. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. what it feels like to me. Yeah. No, no, I was 100% going to say is like initially right, right from the beginning. Besides the fact that you get a uh, naked lady cut in half, uh, you're like, yeah. all right, well, this is already different. And then you're like, oh, it's a pendulum. Oh, and it's oh like, I get it. Clearly like, oh, you know this one. Yeah. We're talking Poe tonight, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know the course, pendulum. And, and that, where uh, are that my Poe fans? Where are my Poe's at? Uh, uh, yeah, where are my... <laughs> damn it. Where are oh, all my Poe's at? <laughs> God, why, Justin? <laughs> That's so solid. Off the cuff. That's so good. <laughs> Uh, so the, the effects in this, of course, are once again done by Savini, getting to work for Argento. And that the first effect that you see is that woman cut in half by the pendulum. And, and so what they did for this is they hired, they put out an ad for uh, for someone to come do it. They hired this woman who's a stripper. Um, and she had to come into Tom's studio for a full body cast, completely nude. So initially they, they were actually going to do it with her panties still on or her bikini bottom or whatever and they decided to do that argento was going to want to do it with her caveman bikini huh with her caveman bikini yeah so uh (laughs) (laughs) you know what i'm saying argento (laughs) uh, i guess told savini that no he wanted to do it fully nude so they kind of had to talk this lady into doing that uh they were like you know because they're they're covering her in plaster and if they're going to do it fully nude well they have to cover everything in plaster and they they kind of so I mean, he was like, you know, it, it's, it'll be brief. It'll, you know, we'll, we'll get it done. It will be, it'll be fine. And so she agreed to it and they did it and they created several live casts of it so that they could create the version of her that sliced in half. And they did it. So they created that out of like foam latex and the entrails were created. And, and they, so what they ended up doing is they ended up, Argento ended up saying, oh, no, we're not going to show her fully nude. She's going to have her bottoms on. So the day of the shoot comes. They've got the two halves on the table. And Argento decides, changes his mind again, says, oh, no, she is going to be fully nude. Well, because he had told them that she wasn't going to be, 
they didn't create any pubic hair on this on this model on this manic or this uh foam latex model so savini is on set like if you walked into set that day you see savini hand threading pube hairs on this on this thing on set the day of which is again just to savini you know working you know having to work be on his toes all the time oh, the uh, glamour yeah, he's, of Hollywood. Threading, he's threading pube hair on this on this uh <laughs> fake woman I know it's so weird. It's a, it's, it's, this is the most I've ever related to Tom Savini. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what that means. I don't either. A hundred percent. I don't know, but it just felt like the right time to say that. (laughs) But Savini tells a story about how the day that when they were filming that, like Argento was kind of squeamish around the the dead body like he went and like touched the entrails that were out on the table was kind of grossed out by him and wouldn't touch them again uh, which is weird if you've ever seen a, a, a an argento movie to think of him being squeamish about anything uh but he was very like kind of squeamish and didn't want to touch them and but then they turned on the pendulum you know and it's slicing back and forth and savini says that that that, that argento had this sort of look of kind of glee on his face. Like he was in his happy place once that started. Cause it was like, his vision was being brought to life, you know, which is it's, and it's a fun effect. It does. Again, it doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the story, except for an introduction to Harvey Keitel's character. Who's this sort of, he's a photographer. He's like a, like a, if you've ever heard of a photographer named Ouija, uh, it's a guy who took a lot of pictures of crime scenes and, and stuff and a great photographer, but he kind of reminds me of that. Although I, I could never figure out exactly, like, because you see him in an office at one point. It's like, does he work for a newspaper? But then he just puts out a book of him strangling a cat, which is a weird thing for anyone to publish. But mm. uh, yeah, so it's it's a very, but it, again, this is an Argento movie. So not everything's going to make sense. I mean, that's just, that's well, just par for the course. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, yeah, no, no, it was a hundred percent. I'm like, who's this guy producing photos for? Like, yeah. it, it just... I don't know yeah. because like what cop, I don't, I don't know because the one cop is just like super into it. Like <laughs> he likes the gore <laughs> and they get to that like woman with her teeth removed. He's just like, Oh, look at this. And he like, seems offended. And he's just like, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> he's just like, no, no, no. Open it back up. I'll take some photos. He's like, <laughs> just, I don't. It's it's real awkward. Sorry, that's the yeah. best way I could describe it. <laughs> no, that's spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Another effect that uh, that Savini created for this, and he goes into great detail in interviews about this, is that he created a giant cat puppet. So basically, they wanted to get like some close-ups of a cat being able to like hiss and things like that on command because cats are not easy to train what this was like a an articulated puppet basically uh where its eyes were mechanical and would open its mouth it would hiss and and it was it was used kind of like a puppet like by a puppeteer had his hand up in it but it also had a lot of mechanical stuff like an animatronic and it's very complex and in this in this documentary on the Blue Underground DVD, Savini goes into like this long story. They're showing all this footage of this cat that they created. Then at the end of it, after he explains how how it was created and all this, he just goes, "Well, they never used the effect in the movie." But there were no animal trainers on the set to 
brainwashed cats to be afraid of certain things, you know. So we built this oversized mechanical cat head. It was simply a sculpture of a cat with glass eyes, uh, cat eyes from a taxidermist place, oversized cat eyes. I think it was for some other animal, but it worked in the cats. And lots of mechanisms to make his ears flap back, make his lips go, and his eyes squint, his forehead to come down. So the cat had all these movements in him. And in fact, it's not even in the movie, because he had some good movement, but I don't think he looked enough like a real cat. You know, I used the cat in Night of the Living Dead. I just put him in, the, in a hole with maggots all over him. <laughs> so he went to all this work and it never even made it onto screens. Uh, they, they, Argento ended up not I, I was to about to say, like, now this bitch can't just buy a dead cat. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> now he's got to work extra hard. He's like, oh, I can't do a monkey. I'll do a dead cat for that. He's <laughs> like, oh, hey, man, you're really good at finding dead cats on the internet. <laughs> it's like, where's that skill ever going to come in handy? If not now, then when, Savini? <laughs> so, and of course, I think the most memorable effect in not only this segment, but the entire film is the corpse and the kind of zombie kitten that's hold, hold up in the wall at the end. Uh, the kitten, of course, was a mechanized puppet, but it's not just that one cat. Like, if you watch that scene, there's, like, other cats coming out of the, the corpse and stuff. It's mm. really creepy and really gross. Uh, which, begs and, and the, the, which begs the question, did the cat put its babies in the body? Well, here's the thing with Argento movies, Todd, because I know that you're probably <laughs> not very familiar with Argento. Am I right in that assessment? I've seen Deep Red. Okay, so you're the okay. So you've only I, seen I've survived, alive I've sur killing. I've survived Deep Red. Oh my God, two of them. <laughs> Sons of bitches. <laughs> uh, his movies are style over substance for the most part. He he, and this is not just an Argento thing. This is an Italian uh, thing from that era. Italian horror movies from the era. La Giallo movies have the same thing where it will jump to conclusions that don't really make any sense, but they they're cool. Like they look cool things, but even if they don't make sense narratively and Argento does that a lot. And yeah, I think that's sure. what he's doing here. I think he was just like, oh, it'd look super cool. If this corpse is just filled with a bunch of zombie cats and, uh, and it does look cool. He's right. It doesn't make any sense if you think about it, but who cares? It looks cool. You know, that, that corpse, by the way, they use the same life cast as the stripper that was killed by the pendulum because they knew that like they didn't have to get a live cast of this other actress because it's going to be so decomposed and stuff that you wouldn't be able to tell anyway. So they just used one they already had. Yeah. Why not save yourself a little time and money? Yeah. So we're, we're kind of goofing on the timelines with this a little bit. Cause we like to do these series. We've been doing this in chronological order, like from release night of living dead, everything up till now has been in chronological order. This one uh, we're listing as a 1990 release. But the movie that we're talking about next week is actually technically earlier than, uh, than Two Evil Eyes uh, because this movie, its original theatrical release in Italy was in 1990, but it wasn't released in the U.S. until the next year, 1991. But it got such a small, limited release that, that's, that the U.S. release barely warrants a mention. Honestly, like it was that minuscule because Argento, like he kind of, I think they were kind of eyeing like the video market for this one. Like they, 
they took it to Italy. They released it theatrically, but I, I mean, this was 1990. So the, the DTV market was pretty big. And I think that they thought, Hey, we'll just, we'll release it in a few theaters enough to get a little bit of visibility on it. And then we'll dump it on video and make that video money. So I don't know how much money they made. There's not a lot of information out there about this one on, on how it did, but it was pretty, it's one of the more obscure movies we've talked about on this series aside from effects, of course, because it barely got a release. So what did you guys think about this segment as its own, but also compared to the Romero one? Uh, no, I, I, you know, I saw some people trying to be like uh different or uh, combative about this. I don't know that, that there was like some kind of competition between the two. Um, this was a hundred percent my favorite segment uh, of the two. Like, and so any chance that I can give Argenta the props he so rightfully deserves, I'll be happy to do so because most, most times in life, I won't. This one was the most entertaining of the two segments. I would say, uh, I would, I would argue that probably the best thing that came out of this entire film was the introduction of Julie Benz, uh, (laughs) as, as Billy, um, that's she, the best uh, thing. Better than Savini's the, work on this movie, Julie. Benz. Okay, well, well, the, the 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 thing is, is we already knew Savini was good. <laughs> we knew Savini was good before and after this movie. It was just like this is a thing Savini did that you're like, oh, also he did this and it was also good. Yeah, he he still did good work. He still did good yeah. work. Uh, Julie Bids was, uh, for what it's worth, I I, I saw I. I looked up an interview with her about this very thing. And she is from that general area. She's from Pittsburgh. Okay. And uh, so she had signed on to be an extra in this movie. And And then they're like, you're really pretty. You need to be. I think that's what happened. Yeah. Because (laughs) like literally the way she describes it is that she was there to be an extra and Argento came out and was like, hello, come with me and like pulls her out of the crowd. And it's like, nothing ever bad has room. happened when a, when a producer or director says that to a young actress. Have you, I mean, uh, if, so can you literally, this is you... her quote. She said, but it's so funny because I didn't really know who he was at the time. I know him and he now, looks like obviously. a fucking ghoul. Like, <laughs> like Argento looks like one of Savini's effects. Said, but I went in to be an extra on the movie and he saw me sitting out waiting to meet this is from the AV club, by the way, just so I give proper uh, credit. Uh, but I went in to be an extra on the movie and he saw me sitting out waiting to meet the casting director. And he pulled my mother and I into a separate, separate conference room. He speaks very broken English. He's Italian. So I'm going to do a very bad Italian impersonation, but he asked me my name and I told him and he goes, walk across the room. I, I didn't like Dracula. I don't know. <laughs> that seems and to be so, Hey, I walk across the room. Walk across the room. <laughs> so I walked across the room and he says, okay, now come back. And I walked back. He looked at me and he said, do you want to be in my movie? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. He's like, oh, yeah. no, 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 no. Do you want to be in my movie? And I was like, Yes. I want to be in your movie. And he goes, okay, you play Betty. And I was like, oh, I'm playing an extra named Betty. Great. 
So we walked out thinking that I was playing an extra name, Betty. No lines, just background. By the time we got home, they'd called. My mom negotiated my deal. She didn't do a very good job. It's fine. But that's how (laughs) I got my SAG card. I really didn't know who Dario was. I didn't know who Harvey Keitel was. It was a wonderful experience, though. Working with Dario was a lot of fun. He's a larger-than-life character with an Italian accent. He would yell at you in Italian, and I'd have no idea what he was saying. I'd just go... Okay, but it was a really great experience. It was shot in Pittsburgh. That's where I'm born and raised. It was really nice to be part of Pittsburgh film culture. Yeah, and so that she goes on. She goes on to talk a little bit in this interview about how, like, she didn't realize, like, she she had had a goal of being in romantic comedies before this, but realized from this experience and then later with Buffy that like genre film is where it's at. Yeah. That like that those fans are as passionate as you are about making a movie. Those fans are as passionate about viewing the movie. So that's where her heart would be. Well, I, I think that this, I mean, the, the art, well, Todd, I, I'm sorry. I didn't let you give me your thoughts on this segment. Uh, yeah, I think it's, I think along the lines of what Gary said, I think Argento's segment is better. Um, I, to be honest, I looked at this thing as a whole. As a whole, this thing is saved by Adrian Barbeau, Harvey Keitel, Tom Savini. It's very it's very weird. Um, it starts off very awkwardly. Um, what do you mean? What do you mean weird? It's it's there's there's some stuff in the. I, you know, I'm not a big Argento fan. Especially, you've seen one Argento movie, so I think I've that's kind of a hard. I think that's kind of a hard thing to to have a have a. Have you not seen Suspiria, Todd? I, you know what? I have not seen Suspiria. Fuck. All right. Yeah, I know. So you're not a fan of the one Argento movie you've seen? I'm not a fan of that one particular film. <laughs> I don't blame which, you. It's terrible. Which is a piece of gold to Justin. <laughs> so you guys are fired from the podcast (laughs) i mostly just hate on it because it just drives justin nuts yeah well i this isn't a discussion about deep red but um it could be it it just it just didn't blow my skirt up i i neither segment neither segment really did i mean the the effects are good but i felt like there were there were a couple things um that they were having a couple of lines that Harvey Keitel was having to do that just kept, just sounded forced and didn't. Well, you got to remember that yeah. this is being, this is a, 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 an English language film being written by two guys who don't really speak English. There, there, so. there is something about Harvey Keitel's performance in this one that like just drove me crazy that I was like, even if you were like, I don't, I don't know. Like, how do you let yourself, uh, you 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 gotta just I I don't know I, I I guess I'm just thinking like you're just happy to be there collecting the paycheck and that's fine. I mean and he's not phoning it in. He is. There are parts of it he's, he's not, but there the are thing. some dialogue options that he delivers that are just like this is clearly like you are. Here's the thing: Harvey Keitel's not a dummy, dude. He's he's not a dummy. <laughs> so he probably pl- he. You know, I'm sure he did his due diligence. And when it came time for a particular scene with a particular line, he's like, hey, look, I'm I'm in it. I know this character. This is this is where it's going. And I feel like. Producer, writer, director, someone came to him and said, go bigger, swing for the fences. And 
you know, he's there, he's there, he's game. They're signing the check. So he did. And that's the take that they used. And it's just not, it's there. There is some (laughs) of it that just sounds like Harvey Keitel is literally reading off of the page. Like it's like, he's, I don't, I don't know. I, and, and obviously I'm not, me trying to judge Harvey Keitel as an actor. I know that I could never fathom the skill level that this man has. And I'm no George Romero and I'm no Dario Argento. I'm just saying this. I've got to side with Todd that this movie, if you've never seen it, I have never seen it my entire life until right now for this show. I did not miss anything. Well, here's the thing. I, I am not going to argue that this is like a great unsung masterpiece. It's not. It's a lesser work from both of these directors. Uh, I, I think it suffers from only having two segments. I think if either of these segments had been shorter versions of them, but in a uh, in, in a larger anthology, I think they would have worked better. I honestly think that, ironically, that because I said that, that the Argento portion feels a little like it could be padded out a little bit more and could have been done as a feature length had he, uh, because it does feel like it, it jumps from, from it jumps to some pretty insane places pretty quickly. Like the Harvey Keitel going, like he just immediately goes crazy basically when that cat shows up you don't really know why. Granted, this is also Argento logic. This is Italian horror logic that you kind of have to take into effect. But I I think overall, like Romero's half is the more cohesive story. Like you can, I, you can sit down and tell me beat for beat what happens in that story. Right. Right. Yeah. But Argento's I think is a lot more fun because it's filled to the brim wall to wall with just insane stuff happening. Even the like diversions from the main story, like the weird dream sequence flashback stuff that's going on where you see Harvey Keitel in medieval times and he gets impaled, which is a great effect. Uh, that shit has, has shit all to do with the main plot. It's just Argento having fun with this post stuff and shooting some just wild shit because that's what Argento does, you know? Yeah. I just, I don't know. It's at some point. I, Cause I mean, to be honest, the, both both of these parts and, and i was thinking about this as a you know in thinking about this movie in particular and how i've felt about the series that we've been covering you know thus far um i feel like this and i, and I know i didn't wasn't the biggest fan of creep show but i feel like this could have taken a page from creep show and had the wraparound scene like you guys mentioned earlier have that comic booky lighting yeah like just i mean okay yeah i I think justin's on with like the wraparound segment that's the part of it that it's really missing is like let's whoops sorry uh let's present this as a an anthology series to be honest no way like tells you that like with these two parts being as long as they are I kind of wish they'd gone a little bit more like Grindhouse and, you know, because weren't there some other folks tied into this? Like, let them shoot like a five, a little five minute thing. 
Well, and, I mean, and we, stick, we it, stick it between they, the features. A you lot know? of them were unavailable. That's why they ended up only being the two. But you know, the other part of, to what Todd just said is one of the interesting parts of this that I was fascinated by, and I kept trying to look this up. Is there is a guy who's credited in this movie, Peter Coper, uh, who's credited as a screenwriter in this movie, or he's not. I'm sorry, he's uncredited in this movie. <laughs> And uh, he is uh, like at this time, he was a production designer for like many John Waters films. And huh. he had been working with George Romero and uh, he had written a movie called Headless Body in a Topless Bar. This is That's the, a great name. I know. <laughs> that, what is a great great title. that is a great title. <laughs> and it, it was described by many magazine articles as like showgirls without the budget. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and, all right but he ended up being like a tv writer for like uh america's was wanted and like all kinds of stuff like that but he grew up with john waters like in Baltimore. had uh been part of part of the dreamlanders which was like the crew of regulars who john waters always worked with in his yeah. films and stuff and he had like apparently also like worked heavily in this movie but he was uncredited for some reason and huh. that's the fascinating part of it for me that i was trying to dig up before hmm. we started recording that i was like who the fuck is this guy like what is, what is his deal <laughs> with this movie but but otherwise no i feel like this is like a tells from the dark side or or creep show or whatever that just you know it's fine. Like, I think if you're looking for like some Halloween, you know, it's October. You're looking for your scary movie fix. You want to throw on something like this is not like a bad choice. Like it's nothing about this is uh, offensive. Well, but like, nothing about it is must see. But nothing about it is. Must I, I feel see. like it's I feel like it. It exists mostly as a fun Oh, cool. Two like masters of horror worked on this thing together. Argent Dario Argento and George Romero. Well, yeah, uh, at the know. very top of the show, you reference masters of horror and it's like, it would have absolutely fit in with that series yeah. where it's like all of those masters of horror episodes for the most part, were just like, these are inoffensive productions from you clearly really have not seen Takashi Maiki's masters of horror episode. I well, have, well is, I'm saying is that like maybe these are not their great works, but they're uh and and I may not I don't I don't think I did see Takashi Maiki's. It was it never eliminated. aired because it was I was gonna say that it did not up. air. Uh, Argento but, did one. Yeah, he did. Toby and, Hooper uh, did one. Stuart Gordon did some stuff. Cigarette Carpenter. Burns by John Carpenter. That's a great yeah, one. Yeah, love Carpenter. Toby Hooper, I think, did some stuff and like it's like none of it's like the things that you'll ever reference when you're discussing their career right. for sure. But, but they're, you know, they're also, yes, these guys obviously have skills. They're, it's fine. Well, this was the last official collaboration really between Romero as a director and Savini as an effects guy, but it's not the last film that they worked on together because the same year that this came out, Romero served as an executive producer on a film that Tom Savini would direct. And that's the movie we're going to be talking about next week here on the show to wrap up our Romero Savini series. I'm sure Todd's ready for it to be over. 
<laughs> uh, but we, next week from 1990, we're talking about the remake of Night of the Living Dead. I'm looking forward to uh, this. I've, I've never seen it before. Uh, I, I, I actually watched this probably like early on in my life more often than I did the original. Now, oh, it has been... 10 years 15 years since i've seen this movie but what i'm saying is is I, i'm excited to go re-watch this i'm excited to see tom savini finally like full circle in a sense like tom savini's come around and he is he is he is he finally gets to work on night of the living dead well he's 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 finally getting back to night of the living dead he's also been a you know key part of the team the whole entire time from actor to special effects to whatever you needed him on Tom Savini was there and now he gets to direct a film for himself so this is this is an exciting point yeah it should be fun if you guys want to stream and watch it along with us just visit cinemashock.net you'll find a link to stream it uh, there on our show description for this episode and uh, you guys have anything else to add before we wrap this up no, I, I think this was, uh, I, I, you know, again, even though I didn't like it, I appreciate that I got to see it. You know, it, it's it's great to have two masters of horror in, in one shot. And that's so that's, now that's we fun. are. This is episode nine. And I think Todd is like two of these move, three of these movies, three <laughs> out of nine, 30, batting 33 percent here, Todd. <laughs> Todd hey, Justin, I, you know, I'm not going to do uh, a spoiler alert here because we're not giving anything away. But I, I encourage anybody who is Todd or thinks of Todd uh, to hang on because I assure you, we have made plans that after this Romero Savini series, which ends at night of the living dead, the remake here, you're going to be very excited about what's next. I, I yeah, but don't get used to it because we're going to talk about some mostly weird shit on this, on this series. I'm just, I'm just saying, Todd, you're in for a ride. This ain't, you ain't seen nothing yet, sir. Uh, that's that's very clear yeah just hang on <laughs> hang on because we're gonna we're gonna hit I was, some I was, we're gonna I was hit some with, todd uh, wheelhouse here in a minute I, I was joking with uh my wife and uh former guest on the last podcast we did uh fred sims about uh me showing up on the best of series and every film was just so todd what'd you think i didn't see it <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no. happened. But now you can't do that because I'm now no, you're I'm, just I, here. I, I'm really, making the effort. Yeah, now you have to see him. Yep, I'm making the effort. I am putting in the time. I'm doing the baby steps. I'm doing the work. I'm not a slacker. Guys, no. I just want to. Can, can I just say too that like one of the coolest parts about this for me, like that, as far as we are into this series, one of the best parts. If you guys haven't been paying attention, and Todd and Justin, I, I assume maybe you've seen this, but the George A. Romero Foundation has been super supportive of this series. People have been responding. Yeah. There, there are people that are paying attention and seeing this thing. And the George A. Romero Foundation has been very good about uh, retweeting and showing what we're doing on Twitter and uh, in other places. They're there. Uh, so if you guys listening to go give them some love people yeah whoever you are out there if you're hearing this and uh you're not following the george a romero foundation you definitely should they're a foundation that's trying to really put some effort and 
money back into the arts and support back into the arts and filmmaking, especially in that general Pittsburgh area that Georgia, George Romero is not around to support so much anymore. He, he did create a foundation that is trying to support that. And these are cool people and, and they're trying to do good things. So if you, if you can just at least support them, they're, they're on Patreon the now too. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just so at least back them, them up a little bit, like help, help spread that word is what I'm saying. At least yeah. just like get that voice out there a little bit further. Let it be. As, uh, they are show. at the Garf G A R F official on, uh, on Twitter. Yeah. They, they, they've been super cool. And it, it, it's just nice that they're, they're into this. And, and a lot of people are, and, and, and I was telling Todd right before this, a dude sent me the Blu-ray of Night Riders. There are people that are finding out more, even if it's just like three people, the word yeah. is spreading. We're spreading the word about George Romero. And even if everything wasn't your cup of tea, Already, this podcast is making people realize the benefit of uh, of exploring further into these artists' careers and their uh, and mo- more than just those like Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, like like really deep diving into their their filmographies. Right? Yeah, and, yeah. We've seen a I couple can... of people already recognize parts of their filmography that they had never noticed before. So. Right that that's already making me feel like what we've done now going into cinema shock is, is uh, more rich than anything we've done before. Yeah. And if, as someone who just finished uh, producing a, a comedy show where I was praying to God, people would show up and I know there's a feeling out there of like, Oh, things are tight. I can't really give or anything like that let me just tell you it doesn't have to be a king's ransom i as a performer uh i'm grateful for every single ass and every single seat and every penny that comes in so if you support the arts and support local independent uh artists of any kind uh you know the george romero foundation is a is a good uh, is a good place to start todd yes where would you like people to follow you on the internet? I am easily findable at, at Mr. Todd A. Davis on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and D&D Beyond. And my t-shirts are available now. Where can you buy those? <laughs> uh, from me directly. Just reach out to me online. It's, we'll, fi- <laughs> we'll figure something out. <laughs> people have figured it out for the most part. That is the quickest we've ever gotten through Todd. So I will just jump in and say, I am at This is Gary Ord on everything. This is Gary Horde. I lost my breath halfway through saying it the first time. <laughs> I am at Justin underscore Bishop. Follow the show at cinema underscore shock on Twitter, Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook or at cinemashock.net. Until next week. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. And be excellent to each other. This one's going out to Jackson Myers from Reseda, California. Johnny has the keys. <laughs> Did uh, 
either of you guys get a real big boner when he was strangling the cat? Oh no. Ugh. 